everybody, and welcome to the Money Made Easy podcast. Every week, we will catch up with all things money, honey. It's your hosts, Angelica and Tisha. We're coming to you anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also follow along with us on Instagram at Money Made Easy Podcast and also on our website at MoneyMadeEasyPodcast.com. We'll be talking all things money, earning it, saving it, and investing it in the easiest way possible. Our goal is to educate, uplift, and empower you to feel confident in your financial decisions. Now, you may be asking yourselves, are you both money experts? (laughs) Heck no, not even close. We're far from it. We will be bringing on some of the best experts in the biz to set you up for success. Now, on to this week's show. So we have another amazing guest today, Amanda Holden from at Dumpster Doggy on Instagram. She's a finance writer, speaker, and educator. And I love that she says investing in the stock market is like in the, um, is like a 40 year long baseball game. (laughs) And do you want hourly updates on the 40 year long baseball game? No, you don't. So that kind of sums it up right there. She's going to teach us all about investing and how to do it and the best ways to do it and to be patient. She's going to help us with that. So let's welcome her to the show, Amanda. Thank you both so much for having me. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Well, um, I have obviously done a little bit of research and know uh, that you've got six years in investment management as an investment counselor. Um, But why don't you just kind of give us a little background spiel? Sure, sure. I love that you chose the baseball game analogy. First of all, <laughs> I love that one. It's like so easy to understand. And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I got to put it in simple terms. So. Oh, it's so, it's so good. Because the, the beauty of that one is a, a regular baseball game is already too long and I don't want hourly update. <laughs> and so it's even better if you think about it in terms of a 40 year long baseball game. It's like, yes. do I want hourly updates? And no, I do not. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so like you mentioned, uh, my background is investment management. I started at an investment management firm out of college in San Francisco. And so there, the, the majority of the time I was working as an investment counselor, which meant that I was a client-facing person. So I was basically meeting with or talking on the phone with our high net worth clients. And so basically my job was to keep them apprised of portfolio strategy, answer questions about the market, get to know their personal financial situations. And so the, the easiest, best way to describe it is I was basically doing a lot of handholding with um, old rich guys all day and letting them complain to me about their money. Can we cuss on this podcast? I was about to say, yes. Okay. I was about to say, let them bitch to me about their money, (laughs) which is essentially what my job function was. And, you know, I did that for a while, but I grew really, really tired of it. Um, I can understand why. (laughs) For one, like, helping rich men get richer was never going to be my calling. So, um, so I ended up saving up all my money 
uh, quitting that job, leaving to go travel. When I was traveling, I thought I would leave money altogether. Um, I was like, I'm so tired of talking about money all day. Mm -hmm. But while I was traveling, I was like, you know what? Like, maybe my work here isn't done and I should take this information that I learned over the last six years and get it back to the demographic that I care most about, which is young women or really anybody who has felt left out of these conversations because so often these conversations are reserved for people who already have money. And so that's when I started my business. My business is called Invested Development. And then my blog and my Uh, My Instagram is dumpster dog blog and and dumpster doggy. And so there I try to provide lots of of free education and do it in a language that young people can actually relate to. Yes. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't fit into your uh, key market category as far as the young people part, (laughs) but you make it fun and funny. And that's what I think um, makes it so interesting to people of all ages. So yeah. I love well, and it. that's yeah. what I love about your platform is, I mean, investing and money, it's all very intimidating topics, especially for women. And so the fact that you just make it like you bring it down Break to the simplest down. level and, and just make it fun. Like it's, I literally was like dying laughing, listening to your stories and everything. So it's, it's just a fun, like, and we don't see that ever. It's not, I mean, that's very rare. So, and that's a big part of why we wanted to start this podcast is we felt that we didn't see many of, you know, these conversations happening on a normal basis and also making it fun is a hard way of doing it. So you have mastered that for sure. Thank you. <laughs> it's, de- it's definitely hard, but having the background in investment management definitely helps. So like I didn't have to yes. learn that and so I can spend yeah. all of my energy figuring out how to decomplexify. Is that a word? Yeah. Decomplexify. Yeah. It is here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. These, these topics. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Well, making it uncomplicated is super important because um, it is a complicated topic mm-hmm. and it, it and it's so deep. There's just so many different layers to it. Um, and it, that's why I think that women in general aren't investing as much as men because we feel like we don't know we don't know. And it's like, oh, do we really want to learn that? That's a lot to learn. And is it fun? It doesn't seem fun. And I mean, it's like, it's, it's more fun just to, I think you, uh, you, my other, one of my other favorite things that you say is spending money is awesome and saving money is boring. <laughs> it's so true. God, I love to spend money. Um, right. It's so much fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I, and the trick is not to prevent yourself from the joy of spending money occasionally. It's to find the joy in saving money equally as much. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I have, thanks to this podcast, started um, a habit tracker of uh, no spend days. And it's so much fun to me to get to check that thing off. It's crazy how much fun I, how much joy I get in putting a little check mark on my phone for that thing. But it helps. Yeah, I love that you said that. And I think that it's an imperative part of the process is setting super fun goals for you that you get to check off. I mean, think of how satisfying it is when you get to cross something off your to-do list, right? It's the same idea with saving money or saving goals. And you can allow yourself to get a little bit competitive with yourself. And it's it's really shockingly shockingly um, satisfying once you get into the habit of doing that, and it can feel just as good, or maybe even better than like that quick hit of a high that you get from purchasing something. Yes. Like I'm looking at something that I purchased 
a couple of months uh, ago being it's like definitely longer lasting. Yeah, it's definitely longer lasting, more sustained. <laughs> With a bigger payoff uh, in the end. For sure, with a bigger payoff in in the end. And so if you're struggling to save, never hesitate to like, not only like set very specific goals, but give them a name, give them a, an image, put it on your, your, your Pinterest, your image board, your mood board. What do you call those things? Yeah, I don't do that. Board. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw yours with lots of sequins and jewels and uh -huh. I don't know, maybe even lighting up. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, could you dive into giving us a few um, basics investing 101 for us? Sure, I'd be happy to. And, and I'll actually start using something that you said, which was that women or people in general might be turned off by the fact that investing as a topic seems so wide that it seems like it's something that you could never get through. And part of what I want people to understand is there is a set amount of information that if you learn it, you're going to be dangerous. You're going to be, you're going to be able to do it. And it's not something that you have to spend every single day thinking about. In fact, it's better if you don't. It's really better if you don't. And so I always want to convey that message up front is that first of all, investing is very much within your capacity and it's not as big of a universe as you may think it is. Mm -hmm. Because really there are only so many things that you can invest in. And if we're going to dive right, I'm, I'm going to start rambling. So at any point, just <laughs> cut me off. So I mean, if, Ramble if, on, girl. Right. Ramble yeah. on. Yeah. Well, so I mean, if we're, we're, if we're talking about investing, the first thing you should know is that there's just not that many things that you can invest in. There are just many ways that you can invest mm -hmm. in those very few options. So your primary options are going to be stocks, bonds, and real estate. Now, everything else that you hear about, so for example, mutual funds is a way to invest in one of those previous three categories. And so really at the core of it, what you just have to do is first understand those three options, stocks, bonds, real estate, and then throw cash in there. Understand where do I put my cash? What, how should I be managing my cash? Cash is not really an investment, but you need to consider it as an investment because it's all going to play into how much money you can earn over time. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really easy place to start. And so I'm not going to get into the definitions of those. We can later if you want. I won't get into the definitions of those right now. But the second thing you need to do, so first know that those are the, the, the very basic things mm -hmm. that you need to learn to invest. The second thing is anytime you have a pool of money, you have to look at your pool of money and you have to say, okay, I have this, this pool of money. This is my baby. What is it that I want to do with it? Mm -hmm. What is my goal with it? I'll often get somebody that'll come to me and be like, hey, I got, I got a tax refund or hey, I got a small inheritance from, you know, my uncle. How should I invest it? And there's no way I can answer that without knowing mm -hmm. what it is that you're the actually goal. trying to accomplish with that money. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you need to ask yourself these questions. What do I want to, what do I want to do with the money? What's the goal? When do I need the money? And then the, the tertiary question is, what, what kind of risk am I willing to take with this money? And so once you've answered that, then you can start to puzzle piece it together with which one of those investment options makes the most sense. 
Because mm-hmm. again, you can't just like make some investment option up that just like perfectly fits your needs. You kind of <laughs> have to choose from between what's out there. And you can, again, puzzle piece it around so you can build yourself something that most closely fits your needs. But what you want to do is take your goals and take your understanding of the different investments and build yourself an investment strategy that makes the most sense for you. And so, so that's a very basic way to get started. Start with the goals. People always want to overlook that and go straight to buying Tesla stock. And it's like, let's, let's hold up. (laughs) I love how you talk about, uh, assessing your risk factor too. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I think I'm a medium large. (laughs) Well, and that's one of my least favorite things is, is in the financial services industry, if you were to go to a financial advisor, not all of them, some of them are very savvy and some of them are not in it for your best interest. And so just like anything else, you you have to do a little bit of digging. But one of my least favorite things is you show up to a financial advisor and one of the very first questions they'll ask you is, hey, what's your risk tolerance? And it's like, I don't know, I don't know how to answer that. Like, <laughs> I'm a medium, medium large. Is that, is that right? Because there's no, there's no way to just like pick a description of your risk tolerance out of the air without actually knowing what risks are involved with the mm-hmm. different investment types. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, and I think it's just important to think about money in the terms of, I mean, I've, I don't know, at least what I've seen with, you know, my friends and I guess this generation is, you know, we get money and we're like, yay, okay, what can we spend it on? Like it's, that's the first thing on our mind. And, um, it's not really about saving. And I mean, my parents are what, ta- who taught me like the importance of saving and all of that. But I mean, yeah, it's more of like, Ooh, like I can go buy that new purse I wanted or, you know, and, it's, and I love that you ask yourself, like going back to when you talked about asking yourself, like, would I rather have this or would I rather have invested for 45 years? Like it's, I mean, and it's, a, it's not a common Would I rather topic. have that purse or would I rather quit working a year earlier? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, definitely just ask, I mean, those are, I don't know. I just don't think that those are normal conversations that people have with themselves. And I, it's such a insightful conversation to have, um, and very important, especially with investors. Yeah, what it's, and it's all about trade-offs, right? When, mm-hmm. whenever we're spending money, it means that it's it's simple opportunity cost. We're not spending it on something else, and so it's all about finding that balance. And I know that everybody's brain works a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Some people um, do best when they think of you know every time they make a purchase, they think of it maybe in terms of that like investing trade-off. Like this could be three days of retirement mm-hmm. for me. Like I could move my retirement date up three days. And I hate the word retirement, like let's say like financial freedom date up Mm -hmm. up three days. Um, Other people think of it in terms of hours worked. Like this would cost me 25 hours worked. Like, is that really, is that really worth it for me? And so whatever makes sense for you in in viewing these trade-offs, but yeah, at the end of the day, just making some space in your life for, for saving and, and, and really coming to terms with the reasons why you want to save. Like if, if you don't believe in saving, then you're never going to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think stepping back and and confronting the reasons why you don't think saving is important or, um, you know, sitting in that avoidance is really, really important. And it's not that easy to do. In fact, it's probably the hardest part of the process. The easy part is setting up a link between bank accounts. The hard part is coming to terms with the reasons why you're uh, avoiding positive money behaviors and 
to be totally fair, a lot of it has to do with the way that we were brought up with money. I, I read something recently that said that like most of our money behaviors are learned before we're seven years old. Wow. And what? so, right. And, and it's, and it's, it's like anything, right? Like we're, we get pretty fully baked by the time we're a small child. And so if uh, hopefully in, in, in saying that what it makes you feel is not hopeless, but what it makes you feel is, is gentle on yourself. Mm -hmm. If there, if you have tendencies that you can't seem to work through and just know that it may be because of things that happened to you when you were very small and it just requires really leaning into that, just like with anything, mm -hmm. right? With anything involving, uh, you know, I, I hate to use the word like grit or mental strength or whatever it may be, but like, you know, these things take real work, mm -hmm. real, real work. And so just be easy on yourself yeah. <laughs> is all, <laughs> if it's not coming right away, but just know that it may require that deeper work. Yeah. So we have the perfect example here because I'm closer to retirement than Angelica. So we've kind of got two case studies that you could kind of uh, go to that next step with. Um, but um, mine is not an ideal case study because I don't have savings as far as I don't have investing. I don't have 401k. I don't have any of that. I, um, I, was, I got divorced about 13 years ago. And um, even though I paid the bills, I, I clearly did not understand money. And I just, because when I paid the bills, if we didn't have enough, I would call my ex and he more would magically appear. And that's not happening anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I am scared too of the kind of the volatile situation. You know, we keep hearing recession and I'm like, oh, I don't want what happened before to happen again, but I know it could, but I need to leave my money there this time if it does. So any tips you've got for me versus Angelica, who she saves a lot, she's <laughs> young, she's, but I know that she wants to make her money grow more because it's mm -hmm. just in, you know, a bank checking account or yeah. I mean, bank savings account and not not making her, her money isn't really working for her. So we've both talked about how we want to invest and stuff. So sure. Sure. Okay. So I want to hit this question in, in two ways at least. So theoretically and logistically. <laughs> so hopefully all of your listeners didn't just turn off. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. no, they want to, I'm out lady. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, hang on. Cause I think listeners, please hang on. I swear. <laughs> better. Uh, no, so I think that this is important maybe for all of us to hear no matter what age you are. And this is just the very idea of retirement. So ever since we switched over to, let's call it the 401k model, which is essentially the model of we have to save and invest for our own retirement. What we have seen is pretty much a widespread failure of people to be able to do that. I'm not blaming people at all. A lot of it has to do with the fact that none of us even knew we were supposed to be doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's because our parents, our grandparents, a lot of them had pensions. A pension is where your company saves and invests money on your behalf. And so you don't have to do it. You know, my dad is a mathematician. He's an actuary. He does the math for pension plans and he did not have a 401k. So I did not learn what a 401k was until I figured out what a 401k is. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen this... <laughs> this widespread shift to the like we have to do it our, it's all on us model and it's just not really working 
um, first of all. Second of all, we're just living a lot longer. And so, I mean, just think about the sheer amount of dollars you have to save to, to live for one year of your life, let alone 30 years of your life. And so I think that for many of us, we're going to have to shift our idea of what retirement looks like. And I think for many of us, it means probably doing some sort of part-time work much deeper into retirement than than we maybe had expected. It's probably not going to be this like 65-year-old drop dead date like it was not drop dead. That's the wrong. It, then you don't the have to worry part. about retirement. No, then you don't have to save. Let's not do that. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's not going to be a date where you can walk away from your job because that is a relic of of the pensions past, right? For us, retirement is not an age. Retirement is an amount of money that you have saved. Right, you can walk away from work once you have enough money to do so, and so for many of us, it's going to be hard to save enough money to live for 30 years, and so we should probably just prepare ourselves now and adjust to the idea of having some sort of work that we do deeper into retirement. And if anything, you know, let's have it be something that we love right? This podcast is a great example. Let's keep working on this podcast and monetize this thing and have this be something that you can do deep into your retirement. You don't have to do it every day. It's not a nine to five. Hopefully you love getting up and, and doing it most days, not every day, of course. And, and having something like that as a side job or just changing the way we think about retirement in general, um, I think is going to be really important. Like for me, myself, like I would love to dabble more into my creative side, maybe produce art or do humanitarian work, do social work, something along those lines that I didn't get a chance to do while I'm in my wealth building or wealth creating stage. And so that's the theoretical piece um, from the more logistical, like how do I actually invest side? Um, you're talking about you were talking about being frightened by the market, by what happened in 2008, and you're exactly right. You're also exactly right with what the anecdote to that would be, and it's just do not panic and sell out when shit hits the fan. Because here's the thing, shit is going to hit the fan. We're hearing murmurs of a recession, but the reality is nobody knows. Nobody knows when a recession will come. Usually a recession is, is paired with a stock market crash. It's called a bear market. They're actually two separate things, but they usually happen in tandem. And so if and when that happens, which it will happen, and in fact, it happens but once between every five and, and 10 years, and so we're probably due. And I'm certainly not wishing for one, but it will happen. Mm -hmm. That said, if you are owning stocks at that time, you're not, for, well, first of all, you're not owning any less of those stocks. The price is just temporarily dropped. Mm -hmm. Why does the price of a stock temporarily drop? And let's, let's talk about this. So first of all, a stock is a sliver of ownership in a company. So like, let's say Target, like you own, to make the math simple, you own way less than this, but like, let's say you own a share and a share represents 1% of ownership in Target. You quite literally own Target. That is what a stock is. When the stock market crashes, why has that happened? Not because Target is selling any less of, you know, whatever it is that they're selling to all of us. It's because investors got scared and sold their Target stock. Mm. So supply and demand 
target stock stock dropped. And then that happens across the widespread stock market. Investors get spooked, investors sell, that drops the price of stocks. But target is not broken. Coca-Cola is not broken. Nike is not broken. These companies are not broken. And so what you have to do is just remind yourself, I still own 1% of Target. It's just temporarily lower in value right now. But at some point, people are going to be like, damn, Target stock is a really good deal right now. I have like literally no choice but to buy in. And if anything, if you do have, if you are lucky enough to have some stability during the next stock market crash, what you should do is try to view it as an opportunity and to make up for some of that lost time. Yes. Good to know. I will. I I have, I started a high yield savings account so that um, I get a base of uh, emergency fund, but then also so that I can take some money from there and invest it. So uh, that's what I'm planning to do. Good, good. And, and, and I should also say, um, I don't know how old you are or how far from retirement you are, but you may not want to be invested in all stocks either, right? You, that's not something that, that, that may not be something that gels with your goals, your timeline. Um, and so I would definitely recommend learning as much as you can about the way that stocks work, right? How much are they up? How much are they down? Like compare that or lay that on top of your own personal timeline and see if that that seems to make sense for you because maybe it's not and maybe for you you want to explore something like doing a real estate rental property right mm-hmm. that that could be another good way to to make up for some lost time and so it's you never have to do stocks if if stocks make you uncomfortable um but i would encourage you instead of shying away and saying it's not for me getting in there and and learning about it because it's really not that scary once you have a a good handle on it. And that also means learning about how our human brains want to sabotage us during times of stock market collapse. Because that's the thing is, is we have these very beautiful cave cave woman, cave people brains that were designed to keep us alive for many, many thousands of years, but they hurt us in terms of capital markets, because we have, we develop these fight or flight mechanisms. We are literally hardwired and chemically driven to do something in the face of danger. So when you see the stock market crash, even though I can rationally tell you, do not panic, you're going to open up your bank account and be like, I'm sorry, but I'm panicking. <laughs> this is, yep. this is panicking because it's your body's like, it's your, it's your, your body is quite literally taking over and telling you to run, to get the hell away, to get the hell out. And so no, you have to know that that is coming and think about what your strategy is going to be before that time comes. Yeah. And so that's why so much of the education that I do, and this is something that I think is, is really glossed over by people who are in my, my educational space, they'll often say, yeah, like go buy an S&P 500 index fund, which is fine. You buy, you know, the 500 biggest stocks in the United States. It's a great, easy, low cost way to get access to the stock market. I own an S&P 500 index fund, but then they don't couple that with an education about how do you prepare yourself for the next big stock market crash. Because I, I will tell you, during 2008, I was working with a lot of grown men who were savvy and who were s- smart enough to know better and who were in tears during 2008. And 2008 was particularly scary. Um, but I, you know, I had clients that would have you know, $10 million invested. And then all of a sudden, the stock market crashes just 
for some reference, in, in 2008 to 2009, the U.S. stock market was down 55%, which is a lot. That is much more than a normal stock market crash. And so Homeboy, who had $10 million, now has $4.5 million and sells out at that point. Only for what to happen? To go back the, the market to rebound, and not only did the market rebound, but the last 10 years since then has been the best stock, 10 years in the stock market historically. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what happens during, during periods that are, are very scary, are very dour. They're typically followed by much more fruitful periods. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to participate during the fruitful periods, which there is more of, the market is up about 70% of the time, it's down about 30% of the time, then you have to be committed to just ride through all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually just downloaded... Um Robin Hood about a month or two ago um, because my fiance got really into it. And he's like, if you download it, we get free stocks. And I'm like, okay. Like, so I put in a hundred dollars just to kind of play around. See, I just wanted to learn more about it. Cause my dad, you know, trade stocks, my dad, my brother. And so I've always like heard about it. And I'm like, what are these names and numbers and what are they talking about? So ever since I've done that, it's, it's been so fun just to learn more about it. And like you said, I mean, just being knowledgeable and, and not like shying away. I mean, it's so easy to, but I mean, I don't know. It's just fun to be like, oh, like, you know, how much is Target today? I don't know. I like to look at the graphs and be like, oh, wow. Like in the last five minutes, you know, it's just fun to, you know, dabble in. And I mean, a hundred dollars, like I haven't lost anything, you know, with it. And I got a free stock that made me $5. So it, I mean, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I think because and they also don't have any, um, what is it, commission fees? Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. They don't have any commission fees. So, I mean, you're not, like the risk, depending on obviously which stocks that you purchase, and obviously you can talk more about that. But I don't know, I, I would recommend if you want to just, you know, learn a little bit more to download that and just put in $50 or $20 and just kind of see how it goes. And, you know, but I don't know buy a stock and maybe sell it the next day if you want. But like, it's just fun to kind of learn a little bit more about it and how it all works. Sure. And so I, I completely agree with you. And I love that you're doing that. And I actually think that the reason you're doing it is the best reason to buy stocks. So when you're buying individual stocks, I encourage people to do it just to do exactly what you said. Get in there, learn about the process, learn how to buy, learn how to sell, learn how to look at the companies, learn how to think of businesses in that way, yes, right? Like exactly. at, the, at the very core, what you're trying to do when you're buying a stock is to think about what company is going to pay you some sort of stream of income into the future, whether that's through growth of the company or maybe they're making a dividend payout. That's mm -hmm. the two ways you make money on a stock is through, we call it price appreciation or growth, and then through a dividend payout, which is basically the company sending you cash, yeah. being like, hey, thanks for being a homie. Yeah. Here's some cash for you. <laughs> and so that, those, two, those are the two items that you're looking for in a stock. Now, what I will say about stock picking is that stock picking is notoriously difficult to do. And so building a portfolio of all individual stocks is probably something that you only want to do if you're willing to commit a lot of time to it. And even if you're committing a lot of time to it, you also have to get extremely lucky. Um, do I want to get into these numbers? Okay, so these numbers get like a little bit dense. But so let me try to simplify this. Basically, you have like the, the stock market average. So like let's say the stock market average is about 10% a year. So the stock market goes up 
on average about 10% a year. But of course, that's just an average. There are years that are up much more than that. There are years that are lower than that. But over time, it averages out to to about 10% a year. I always like to compare it to my dating life. Like some years, <laughs> some years I hook up with like 20 dudes. Some years I hook up with like two dudes. Some years I hook up with like negative dudes. But over time, it <laughs> to about 10 dudes a year. Um, you can cut that if you need to. But, no, I love it. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. But so, so that's the stock market average. You can invest in an index fund that basically invests you into the entire stock market and just achieve the stock market average over time. That's what I do with the majority of my portfolio. I don't technically make recommendations, but I do think that it's a strategy that makes sense for a lot of people because you are reducing your cost to almost zero and just saying, you know what, I am here to, to ride the stock market over time and whatever that average is, is good enough for me because I know that trying to pick the individual stocks that do better than that is for many people going to be a fool's errand. Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is the stock market average is actually generally buoyed by only a handful of stocks. So generally speaking, about one out of every five stocks is an excellent performer, but it is such an excellent performer that it brings the entire average up. And so if you want to do better than the stock market average, if you want to do better than just a simple old boring index fund, then you have to, to be able to identify those one out of every five stocks that's going to be an excellent performer, which is extremely difficult to do before that company has its meteoric rise, yeah. right? We're not talking about buying Apple now. We're talking about buying Apple 30 years ago. Yeah. And it's- That would have been nice. <laughs> it would have been so nice. <laughs> and, and it's a very hard thing to do. And so you not only have to be savvy, but you also have to be lucky. And most people end up picking mostly those four out of five stocks that do worse than the average. Yeah. And so for a lot of people, it does make sense just to, you know what? Like I'm fine just to, achieving the average, like it's a whole lot better than, you know, achieving worse than the average while spending 15 hours a week trying to pick these winners. Yeah. And so I love that you're doing it to learn about companies. I still do own individual stocks because I like to own individual stocks. Mm -hmm. um, that said, I think for a lot of people, doing one of these index mutual funds is a really easy way just to get into the market without having to even, you don't even have to really do any research at all if we're being honest. Yeah. And so that's, that's a really, really great option as well. And, you know, I'm happy to, to, to get into an explanation of what an index fund is as well, if, if that's something that you would yeah, like. Definitely. Sure. That'd be great. Okay, cool. Um, so I think that it might help to start with talking about just like what a mutual fund is in general. Mm -hmm. So, We've all heard this word mutual fund. Mutual fund, it gets like thrown around a lot, but it's like, okay, but like what is a mutual fund? And so a mutual fund is essentially a basket that bundles together some other investment type. So it could be a basket of stocks. It could be a basket of bonds. It could be a basket of wild hog futures. It could be, <laughs> a, you know, it could be a basket of a combination of different investment types. It's basically just a basket. 
Mm-hmm. And so I like to, I actually like to compare it to a suitcase. So the suitcase is the mutual fund and that's important. That's what keeps all of your things together, right? So you can get from point A to point B, but what is significantly more important is what you have packed inside that suitcase. And so I like to compare it to two different people that are going on two very different trips. So let's say you have person one and their suitcase, they are packing, I don't know, like Mardi Gras beads, whips and chains, like an eyes wide shut mask, a wizard's cape, right? Like this person, okay, that's person one, but compare that to person two. So person two in their suitcase, they are packing like a cable knit sweater, some earplugs, a nice long read that they picked up at the airport, right? Clearly person one and person two are about to have very, very different journeys. They are about to have very different trips. And it's the same idea with the mutual fund. If you have a mutual fund that's packed full of stocks, you are about to have a very different journey than a mutual fund that is packed full of bonds. And so the mutual fund, again, is a suitcase that just holds it together. And so anytime you're thinking about investing in a mutual fund, crack that bad boy open and see what is inside. Like check out what is inside that thing. There's another type of fund. It's called an exchange traded fund. And so I don't want to gloss over that. But the idea is a fund is a fund is a fund. A fund mm-hmm. basically puts together all of these different uh, other different investment types. And so one very popular type of fund, it's a style of fund, is called an index fund. And this, an index fund, quite literally mimics some sort of index that measures stock market performance. So when we hear the S&P 500, we may think of it as, okay, that's like a type of investment. It it is now, but originally the S&P, and to this day, the S&P 500 index is a measuring stick to see how the U.S. stock market it's performing. So the S&P's job is just to be like, okay, so you, the U.S. stock market is up about a percent today. The U.S. stock market is down about a percent today. And they do it by measuring the 500 leading companies in the United States. Well, nowadays, you can also buy a fund that mimics the index. And so when you do that, you are essentially saying, I'm chill with just achieving the average of stock, the U.S. stock market performance over time. And there's also an index fund for just about any type of market that exists out there. For example, you could buy an index fund that literally tracks the entire stock market, not only in the United States, but also in foreign countries as well. Oh, wow. And so one, one of the reasons that index funds have become so popular is because there's no management fee. It's, it's, it's very small. It's called an, an expense fee. Um, an expense ratio is, is what it's called. And it's generally very, very small because there's not somebody behind the scenes making decisions about what stock is best. Mm-hmm. The expense ratio essentially just covers normal upkeep of the fund. Like let's say a company goes bankrupt, drops out of the S&P 500. Well, we got to we got to recalibrate the fund right and so it's extremely low cost which we have learned over time that one of the most erosive powers on your ability to return money over time is going to be fees it's going to be fees and so if there's some you know mutual fund money manager behind the scenes taking a 2% cut of your money that's coming directly out of your pocket and I'm kind of rambling now, but do you mind if I explain the fees really quickly? Yes. <laughs> yeah. no, please do. Please. Okay. 
So when you hear something like, oh, the management fee is a percent or 2%, like, what do you think? You think, oh, that's nothing, right? Mm. I used to think that <laughs> since I've gotten this show, I've, I've been educating myself. So now I'm like, oh no, I don't want to pay that. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I, uh, I opened an Elvest account a few months ago and I was doing research because we recently did uh, an episode just between the two of us. And um, so I was looking and it's 0.25%. Um, and so, but even that, I'm like, wait, I feel like that's even too much. <laughs> sure. Well, because that 0.25% is going to be on top of the expense ratios of the funds that they're actually buying you. With Elevest or with any robo-advisor, basically the trade-off is, should I pay Elevest 0.25 or 0.5% to buy me Vanguard index funds, or should I just buy the Vanguard index mm -hmm. funds myself? Mm -hmm. And so that's really what the trade-off there. Um but you're exactly right in doing this, this research. And so with, let's even say a 1% fee, let's keep it super simple. So when we hear like a 1% fee, I think that we're so trained to think in terms of shopping. Like if you ever like went to, let's say happy hour and they're like, oh, you get 1% off all beers. You'd be like, eh, like that's insulting. <laughs> I'd rather just play, pay full price. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so 1% really seems like nothing to us, but in the world of investing, 1% is a ton because think about it this way. Let's say the stock market doesn't perform as well into the future as it did in the past. Maybe it averages 5% a year moving forward. Mm -hmm. That 1%, it's not 1% of a 100 piece pie. It is one out of those 5%. So you basically just gave up 20% of your returns right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. It's very simple arithmetic. If you could potentially earn 5% in the stock market or whatever investment type that you're investing in, and you're paying 1% to do so, that comes right from your returns. 5% minus 1%, you can only earn at most 4%. Mm -hmm. And so you have to think about it that way. And again, instead of like one piece of a 100 piece pie, because it's not that. That definitely helps. Yeah. And it's, and that's just from the get-go, just like returns compound over time, fees also compound mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. um, just you know, even go into a compound return calculator and look at what returns would look like at like 6% versus 7% or 5% versus 6% and see how many, not only thousands, but hundreds of thousands of dollars that it can amount to over time. It's a lot. Wow. Well, and that's where the 0.25%, I was like, okay, well, right now it's only like eight cents, but it's like, I don't want to put all my eggs in the Elvis basket because I definitely, if I can save that 0.25%, then yes, I put it in the Vanguard basket instead. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should talk about some of those kinds of things. And uh, we're both self-employed. So if we could even talk about some self-employed retirement account tax advantage type stuff, that'd be great too. Sure. So um, really quickly, a closing thought on the robo-advisor. So listeners out there, Elevest is one of many robo-advisors that exist out there. The other popular ones are Wealthfront, Betterment, LearnVest, Wealthsimple. What these companies are all essentially doing is buying index funds for you, and they're going to charge you a fee to do so. And so the question is, 
at the heart of it, do I want to pay somebody a fee for something that I could feasibly do on my own? Mm-hmm. There are pros and cons to both. Um, I personally like to buy the index funds myself, but I'm also very comfortable doing so. If having somebody help you do it to get started is the way that you're going to invest, then mm-hmm. hell yeah, do it, right? It is certainly better to invest than to not invest, even if it does come with a small fee. You know, something you could do is even get started doing something like an Elevest. And once you kind of learn the ropes, you could transition over to Vanguard and do it for yourself. Uh, that That's an option. Yeah, so again, in summary, if having somebody help you do that first step or take that first step of investing, or it doesn't even have to be the first step. If you just, if, if that cost is worth it to you in order to invest and really never have to think about it, then that's fine. I would always prefer somebody to use a service like Elevest as opposed to doing nothing at all. And I think that there really is even some value to having there be like an app and a beautiful dashboard and being able to see on your phone, like if you're hitting, you know, if you're hitting goals and seeing your, your, your money go up. I mean, I don't, encourage that anybody checks it too much because, you know, I don't want anybody to be upset in the event that the stock market uh, does have a down day or, or week or month or whatever it is. Um, but that said, I, I do think that there is value in that. And so if that's how you want to get started, that's totally fine. That's totally yeah. fine. It's a fun way for sure. They definitely make it easy and easy to see. And um, so, and it is fun the days that it's up an extra dollar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't live and die by those numbers though, people, because no. it will absolutely fluctuate. And so, you know, even though I said that, like I, I'm going to even disagree with myself, I would say that for most people, checking it less is better. And just kind of like taking a like, you know, I'm just going to keep stuffing money in their mentality, no matter what the market is doing, no matter what people in the news media are saying, because I know that with news media, if it bleeds, it leads, right? And so they actually stoke the flame if and when there is any murmurs of recession or stock market crash or what, it is not a reliable source for your information whatsoever. And so whether, no matter whether people are happy, sad, jazzed, excited, you know what, no matter what it is, I'm going to be putting money into this thing. And I'm not going to worry because I know that the stock market takes a long time to work. It takes a long time to work. And if you want results tomorrow, next week, even in the next five years, you are going to be sorely disappointed. And that's what's so difficult about investing in the stock market is it really can feel like you're treading water or you're doing it wrong because we don't get results often immediately. And that's just not the way, again, that our brains are equipped to think. We are trying to survive each and every day. We are not, we are not mentally equipped to think about what's going to happen 40 years from now. That's not, right. that's, that's not what human beings do. Yeah. And so like waiting for a 40 year or 30 year or 20 year payoff is just like not something that our brains are hardwired to do. And so it can be very difficult, but you, you really have to, if you're going to be a successful stock market investor, no matter whether you use Elevest, no matter whether you buy index funds or individual stocks, no matter what it is. And so, um, so that's to answer your question about that. Um, I'm happy to segue and talk a little bit about account types for self-employed people, if that's what you'd like to cover next. Yeah. Let's do that. (laughs) Cool. Um, So what I will say is that I often get the question phrased like this. What ROI can I expect to earn in my Roth IRA? What ROI can I expect to earn with my 401k? Well, a Roth IRA, a 401k is just an account. It's just a fancy savings account. 
the investing that happens within that account is completely separate. And so when we're talking about where to save the money, I want you to think about a 401k, a SEP IRA, and a Roth IRA, again, as just accounts. They just happen to be fancy tax-advantaged savings accounts where you can also happen to invest the money that once it goes in there. That said, you can invest the money in a regular old brokerage account that does not have any sort of tax advantage. But basically what happened is these accounts, these accounts were created, basically the IRS saying like, here, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to throw you a teeny tiny little bone. If you save within one of these accounts, I will give you this small tax advantage, but it does mean that we don't want you to take it out until you're retired. Mm -hmm. At least that is the case for a solo 401k, a SEP IRA, and a traditional IRA. These are going to be your standard, we call them tax-deferred options for self-employed people. Tax-deferred essentially means that you are not paying income taxes on any money that goes into that account, but you will pay income taxes later when you pull that money out in retirement. The idea there being that you will be in a lower tax bracket as a retired person that has no income, and so therefore you will pay less in taxes if you defer them until later. Now, compare that to a Roth IRA. The Roth account kind of stands alone. The Roth is, is, al is always the one that is separate from everything else because it has a slightly different taxation, but also still tax-advantaged. Now, with a Roth IRA, you are paying income taxes up front. And so people that are proponents of Roth IRAs are kind of like, no, I get that like maybe there's some small tax advantage to waiting until later, but like I would rather just get them out of the way while I'm a working person with an income and just not have to worry about them when I'm in retirement. And so what you can probably tell from this conversation is that one is not always necessarily better as a blanket statement for for a person. It has to do with your tax situation. It also has to do with your preference, right? But here's the thing. Either way, you're paying income taxes. You're either paying income taxes now or you're paying income taxes later. And so we split so many hairs in the biz deciding like what's better, like 401k tax deferred or Roth. And the reality is it doesn't matter. You're, you're paying income taxes either way. The great news about all of these accounts, every single one of the accounts I just mentioned, is that there's another tax advantage that we don't talk about very much, and that is tax-free investment growth. This is what's really exciting about investing in one of these accounts, is that if you were to, for instance, Angelica, in your Robin Hood account, mm -hmm. you're probably just like, it's not within a Roth IRA, right? It's not within no. it. Right. So when you buy and then sell a stock, if you earned money, that's called a capital gain. So if you earn money, then you're on the hook for taxes, yeah. right? You found a way to make money. So the IRS is going to find you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's called capital gains tax. So again, any investing you do in like a regular old brokerage account out mm -hmm. aside from a retirement account, you will have to pay capital gains tax. Now, if you were to invest within any of those retirement accounts, Roth, 401k, SEP IRA, traditional IRA, you pay no taxes on investment gains. 
the world. And if we are really diligent, if we invest like every month for a really long period of time, what we will find is that a lot of our returns are going to come from investment gains. Mm -hmm. And so if we can avoid paying taxes on those investment gains, that's just more money in our pocket. Yeah. Right. And so that's the beauty of using one of these way too confusing <laughs> retirement accounts. <laughs> and so my message to you in summary, if you totally just zoned out in summary is they're all good. Mm -hmm. No matter which one you choose, it's going to be good. Now there are some specific rules to who can use what. For example, you can't earn too much money and use a Roth IRA. You would have to do a backdoor Roth IRA. And so just, you know, make sure you understand what it is that you qualify, but don't let choosing the choosing of the account hinder you from just getting yeah. started. Just mm -hmm. get started in one of them, right? Roth IRA is great for a lot of people. Uh, you could also do a solo 401k. So for example, you could go to Fidelity and open up a solo 401k. A SEP IRA is another really great example. Both a SEP IRA and a solo 401k are going to have much higher allowances. So you can like put in a lot yeah. more money than you can with the Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. A really great goal, like this may be far off, like, right. I know that like saving for retirement can be mentally tough, especially as self-employed people when we just want to funnel so much of our investment dollars back mm -hmm. into our businesses. Um, a really great goal down the line is to be doing both. Do a, do a Roth and do a SEP IRA. Mm -hmm. Right, have have a combination of 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 both tax deferred and Roth dollars, and invest that money once it's within the account. I always like to compare accounts to like, you can think of it as like the garage where you park your car. The four hundred one k is your garage. The car is the investments. That's the index fund. That's what's going to drive your investment returns over time. The four hundred one k is just like a fancy tax shelter. You can also think of it, I like to compare it to like an adult caboodles. Like the Roth IRA is the caboodles. It's just the thing that holds your treasures. The investments are the treasures that you put inside, whether that's your, your, your tie-dye scrunchie or your miniature novelty eraser collection or whatever it is that you put inside the caboodles. Those are your investments. The caboodles itself is just the shell that holds the investments. Um, Same with the suitcase example that you did earlier, right? Well. A mutual fund is not an account. A mutual mm -hmm. fund is is similar in that it like holds something together, right? It's bundling these for purchase for you. But a 401k, Roth IRA, traditional IRA, these are accounts, mm -hmm. right, that hold cash. They hold mutual funds. They hold stocks. They hold bonds. They hold investments. And so once that money is there, you'll likely want to invest the money. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing that self-employed people need to do is they need to take initiative to get their own money invested once it ends up in the account. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say a quick note. I, my dad had me start a Roth IRA with TD Ameritrade. Well, it was Scott Trade back um, and now it's TD Ameritrade. But um, I think it was like four or five years ago. And he was like, oh, well, did I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. I'll put a couple hundred dollars in there. And then like two years later, he's like, so did you ever invest that money or is it just sitting there? And I was like, what do you mean? I just started an account. Like, I don't know. And then, so it was literally just sitting in there for four years or two years, like with no investments. And so like it made no money. Um, so de yeah, definitely make sure you're investing that money once you put it in there. Yeah. And just to cycle back to how I started this, this conversation, 
people often ask, like, what ROI am I going to get on my Roth IRA? Well, you're going to get 0% if it sits in cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, not even, not even necessarily 0%, you are losing money each and every year mm-hmm. to the powers of, of inflation. What's inflation? Inflation Inflation is this effect of things just getting more expensive mm-hmm. over time. It's manufactured by the government. It's just the way that it is. But what that means is every dollar is less and less valuable each yeah. year. And so you're not actually earning 0%. You're learning 2 or 3% each mm-hmm. year. And so, so, yeah, if you want to achieve an ROI within your retirement accounts or within any type of an, an account, you actually have to get in there and invest the money as well. Yeah. Wow. You're doing that now, right, Angelica? You yes, fixed that. I am. And I actually I, I invested it and and then I check I never check it, but then I just checked it a couple months ago and I was like, ooh, like I have some more in there, not just the same money that's just been sitting there. So um, yeah, no, it's fun. Well, and that's that's actually an interesting point. Just it's it's timely. Mm-hmm. Because Tisha, you what you said earlier was like, oh, we're hearing murmurs of a recession. Should you be invested? If you started investing in like an S&P 500 fund at the beginning of the year, even with all of the murmurs of recession and trade war with China and tariffs and election and da 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 da, you would be up almost 30% this year. Wow. It's been an incredible year amidst this backdrop of like confusion. And that, that's what happens with the market is while we're all prognosticating, complaining, da, da, the market is climbing up behind us. And mm-hmm. so it's just it's just your rally cry to get invested, to get invested as soon as you can. Yes, there's going to be down years, but there's also going to be many more up years. And in order to catch those up years, you just have to spend the most amount of time in the market as, as you possibly can. Amazing. So to kind of wrap this all up in a beautiful little, I don't know. I'm like Financial to bow of money. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess what would be, I know it's a loaded question, but what would be for someone who's afraid of investing and doesn't know anything, I know probably their first step would be, well, what's their goal? But once they know their goal, I guess, what would be your next step? Like, who do you think that they should reach out to or, or anything like that? Well, the good news is there's a lot of free resources online Mm -hmm. to start the education process. I know it's not what people want to hear. People want like, no, I want you to snap your fingers and tell me what to to do. But I really believe the next step is the education process. Mm -hmm. There's something called the Stock Series online. It's written by J.L. Collins. It is a free resource that is incredibly valuable. And so that's a free place that you could start. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really great. I, he, he, it is great and he is great. I will say that it is hard, right? Reading about investing, Mm -hmm. it's hard. And, you know, I've actually learned that through my own business because I started this out thinking that I wanted to write a book and to write on the blog and write about investing there because I like to write. I like comedic writing. But what Mm -hmm. I have found in my own personal experience is that the learning process is so much easier for people when it is done by a teacher yep. who is live or who is mm-hmm. there to help and answer questions because sometimes it just doesn't register right away and you have to ask it in your own personal way mm-hmm. for 
for for it to work. And so that's why I started my course. I have an, an investing 101 course that I teach live. It's all virtual. It's oh, awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's four parts. And you know, I think it's like six or seven hours of instruction. But I basically take you from the very beginning all the way through all of the building blocks you need to be able to turn around and then feel confident making a decision about what the best strategy is for you. And so um, I don't know if that's like so cheesy to like say, hey, come find me. No. Um, yes. Find, take, take my class. I've got a great class that I, I do exactly this, try to get you up and mm -hmm. running. And I did it because the demand is there because as much as there are free resources online, and I provide a lot of those, I do a lot of investing education on my Instagram. So you can come find me there. Um, I try to give it all away as much as possible. But for whatever reason, I guess this shouldn't be such a surprise, but cobbling together some sort of like education about investing via random internet articles just is not working for people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Definitely. so it's, it's just kind of like anything. Like if you are somebody where you like know you need to like go to a yoga or Pilates class to actually get it mm -hmm. done, then, then you might be somebody that actually needs to schedule some time to show up and be present with a teacher and ask questions in order to get it done. And so please feel free to come find me. My course is called Invested Development. You can find information about it on my Instagram, on my blog, which is Dumpster Dog Blog. It's all there and I'm, I'm here to help. Awesome. I need to check that out. That's so awesome. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. You have just spilled so much knowledge into this episode and I am so thankful for you. Um, yes, we'll we have to have investing uh, part two come up. 2.0. This, this was too good. And I, I, I'm like, wait, how's it already been an hour? No. I know. <laughs> Um, at the end of every episode, we like to wrap up with asking our guests two questions. And um, the first question is, what is your definition of success? My definition of success, oh God, this is such a good question. So for me, why I do what I do is because of two, uh, two reasons. I want to be creative in, in my work and then I want to help people. Mm -hmm. And so as long as I am doing those things while also making enough money to happily survive and save, yep. then I'm a pretty, pretty happy camper. And I try to remember that anytime I'm feeling hungry for external validation. <laughs> That's perfect. That's the perfect definition. <laughs> and then the other question that we always like to ask is, what are the three words you think of when you hear the word money? Okay, this is another good one. So I would say freedom, first of all, financial freedom, using it as a tool, tool would be my second word, but using it as a tool to create a life of financial freedom. And then I'm just going to, I'm going to say fun. I mean, you're allowed to have fun with your money as well. It's just about balance. Yeah. Nice. Definitely. That's awesome. That's the perfect perfect Amanda answer for oh. sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much again. We are so excited for all of our listeners to listen to this episode and take all the little tidbits. And definitely, Amanda, if you want to share again where everyone can find you um, so that they can start following you. Sure. So on Instagram, I'm at dumpster.doggy. Uh, Dumpster Dog blog is my blog. So just come, come find me there. Awesome. And, and y'all can read, you can go on her blog and read about why she has that name. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't share that story, but <laughs> it's a scratch. good one. 
<laughs> yes, you are scrappy. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. This Thank has you for been having amazing. Me. Okay, you all know the drill. Please go give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. And might as well hit that subscribe button while you're there. And let's keep the conversation going on Instagram. Share your favorite part from this week's show. And we'll see you next Money Monday. Bye. Bye.